water. <laughs> Been singing too hard. Boy, that was a great time of uh, music this morning. Don't they do a great job? Praise and worship team. That's great job. Fantastic. Well, that's great. Great. Leaning on a fence one day, a man with very little was watching his wealthy neighbor move in down the street. And as he watched him move in, he noticed that his neighbor had everything you could think of when it came to worldly material possessions. Several nice cars, motorcycles, four-wheelers, any and every kind of electronic device, new appliances you'd see on the show floor at Sears, the nicest living and bedroom furniture money could buy, state-of-the-art kitchen supplies and costly wall hangings. And as he was watching all this stuff being moved into the house, after a while of watching, he called out to his neighbor, kind of sarcastically, and said, if you find anything that you don't have that you think you need, let me know, and I'll show you how you can live without it. Truth of the matter is this. No matter how much we have, it's never enough, is it? There's always more, isn't there? How many of y'all have uh, uh, been to Walmart or, or Target or someplace like it recently and just bought out the store and you thought to yourself, I hope I don't have to go back there for a while, only to find yourself back there later on that week or maybe even that day? Because there's never enough, is there? There's always more. If your goal in life is getting stuff, good luck with finding joy and satisfaction in that pursuit. How many of you have ever known someone to be content and to be satisfied when that is their goal in life? How many? But the world tells us that we can, doesn't it? The message of the world that you see on commercials, on TV and everything, you can have it all and then some. And you see the people on there and they're happy. They're sitting on a beach somewhere looking content. It's like the famous song by the Rolling Stones. I can't get no satisfaction. Remember that song? Remember how the lyrics go? try and I try and I try and I try but I can't get no satisfaction Paul this morning is going to be like that neighbor with very little he is going to show us in this passage of scripture this morning how to find contentment no matter what now some of you may remember my sermon from a few weeks ago and be, you might be thinking to yourself wait a minute didn't Paul say earlier that we weren't to be content? That we weren't to be satisfied with where we are? Instead, we're to do something about it? Didn't he say that? Didn't we talk about how there's joy in not being content and not being satisfied, but by pressing on? So is he saying something contradictory here by saying that joy is to be found in contentment? What Paul shows here in this book is that both are true. 
There are some things that we don't need to be content with and satisfied with, and there are some things that we are. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the fact that Paul was not content, not satisfied with the state of things in his life spiritually, was he? And we talked about how there's spiritual benefit to examining our lives and to see what's lacking in us so that we'll be driven to to press on toward godliness. So there are things in life we don't need to be content with, according to Paul. But there are also things in life we do need to be content with. What we find from the book of Philippians is that though Paul is content and satisfied with the state of things in his life spiritually, though he is not content and satisfied in those things, he is content with the state of things in his life, both physically and financially. And in this passage we're going to look at today, Paul is going to show us how to be content in this way and why being content in this way is beneficial to us spiritually. This morning, we are finishing our sermon series on Philippians, and we've talked about how Philippians is the New Testament letter of joy. It's all about how to experience joy in this life. And this today, we are going to end the series by talking about how to experience joy through contentment. Now, what I want to do before we begin is I want to read and briefly explain verses 14 through 20. And then I want to really focus in on verses 10 through 13, which is going to help us discover how we as people can become people of uh, who are content. All right? So before the typical conclusion that Paul gives in verses 21 through 23, he ends this letter similar to the way he begins it with thanks. Look at verses 14 through 20 with me. Paul says this, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent me, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So we learn here that the church at Philippi was one of the few, if not the only church, probably the only church that supported Paul on an ongoing basis financially. And and Paul is writing here to just write to tell them thanks. Thank you for this specific gift that you send me by way that you sent me by way of Epaphroditus and thank you for your support in ministry. But notice what Paul doesn't say here. Paul doesn't say thank you for this gift because I had to have it. And he doesn't say thank you for this gift because I don't know what I would have done without it. And he doesn't say Thank you for this gift because the gospel might not have gone out like it did and God's purposes might not have been accomplished the way that they were had you not supported me financially. 
Here's basically what Paul says in verses 10 through 20. Though he expresses thanks for the gift, and I'm sure that it helped him in ministry, and it was useful for him, he wants the Christians at Philippi to know, I would have been content either way, whether you sent it or not. So what we're going to do this morning briefly is look at verses 10 through 13 and answer the question of how to experience joy in this way, through being content. Here's the first principle. If we're going to experience joy through contentment, we are going to have to trust that God is in control. We are going to have to trust that God is in control. Verse 10. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. As we've said before, 10 years or more have, has passed since Paul has planted this church at Philippi. And word has gotten back to the Christians at Philippi that Paul was in prison and he was in a bad way. And because their circumstances had changed financially, the, the Philippians who hadn't supported Paul in a while were able to continue their support. So they decide to send a gift, a financial gift, by way of Epaphroditus to Paul in prison. And we know that Epaphroditus goes, he gives the gift, he stays with Paul a while, and eventually Paul sends Epaphroditus back with this letter to the Philippians. And, and one of the, one of the uh, reasons for him writing the letter, among other things, is to just thank them for their gift. This is basically what Paul is saying here in verse 10. And many people read this verse, and depending upon your translation, especially the part where Paul says, you haven't supported me in a while, they think Paul's kind of being passive-aggressive there in that passage. Like, well, you guys haven't supported me in a while, but I'm sure thankful that you're supporting me now. They think he's kind of being passive-aggressive in this way, like that family member you call that you haven't talked to in a while. And you all have that family member where they say, boy, it's sure good to hear from you. I was beginning to think you forgot my number or forgot where I lived or forgot I even existed. Many people think Paul's kind of being passive aggressive in that way, but he's not. Here's the point Paul's making. He's saying here, you haven't been able to give to me recently because you haven't had the means to do so. But now your circumstances have changed and because that's the case, you have given me this gift. And now I greatly rejoice in the Lord, and I'm thankful to you because you've once again shown me how much you love and care for me through sending this gift. Here's a point I want to make here about this verse. A long time has passed since Paul has received support from the Christians at Philippi. And we learn in verses 14 through 20, they were one of the few, if not the only church, to support him financially. So the reason why Paul's content is not because he had some big donors over here that were supporting him in ministry. If you and I looked at Paul's bank book, we'd probably say, Paul, how are you making it? Month to month. I mean, I know you can make some money making tents, but come on. You need some help here financially. But notice what Paul doesn't do over the years. He doesn't try to manipulate the situation or coerce them, saying, man, if you guys cared anything about God, you'd be given to me. You guys must not, you heathens, you must not care about the ministry. 
because you're not supporting me financially. He doesn't do that, does he? Instead, he says this, it's been a long time since you guys have supported me financially, but I know that God is in control. And you know why I know he knows that? Because look what he does here in verse 10. He praises God and he thanks them. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Paul's mentality is this. If you guys send me support, great. I'm going to thank you for it and I'm going to praise God. But even if you don't, great. Because regardless, I am trusting in God. That's Paul's mentality. Paul is able to be content no matter what because he knows God is in control. Now, here's the problem with us. Simply put, we often fail to see God's in control, don't we? We just do. Which is why oftentimes when we go through difficulty, the questions we ask is, where are you? Where are you? Do you are you even there? Do you even care? We've thought those things before. And the reason why we think in this way oftentimes is, is because of this. is because the primary way God works in the world is in and through the circumstances of daily life. Let me explain what I mean here. There are two ways God works in the world. One is through miracles, and the other is through providence. God works through miracles and he works through providence. A miracle is when God intervenes into the natural world. It's an event that goes contrary to the normal course of events. That's what a miracle is. And there are times in Scripture where God performs miracles, isn't there? He parted the Red Sea during the Exodus for, for Moses and the Israelites. He parted the Jordan for Joshua and the Israelites to enter into the land of promise. He heals the sick. He raises the dead to life, the resurrection of Christ. That's a miraculous event. So God does work through miracles, though they're more rare. But providence is another way God works in the world. And providence is this. Providence means that God does not interrupt the natural order of things and the systems that he has put in place. Instead, he, he allows for the, uh, the, the things in life just to, just to unfold. With providence, God weaves events and circumstances together to accomplish his purposes. These are the two ways God works in the world. But though that's the case, he primarily works through providence. That's just true. Most of the time, God works through the laws that he has created, through the system that he has put in place. Now, we don't really like that, let's be honest. We want miracles, don't we? We do. We want to see, yeah, we want to see God show up. Yeah, I'm with you, Casey. We want to see God show up, and we want to see him cure cancer, not from chemo treatments, but we want to see God come in, suspend the laws of nature, and, and, and heal in that way. But a lot of the time, he works through providence. Here's the point I want to make this morning. Though we love miracles and we talk about them, we long for them and think, man, if only God would work in this way, that would help me with my unbelief. Though we think that's the case. Listen, God is just as much at work 
through the systems that he has put in place as he is with miracles. He is. We often only think of miracles as being supernatural. That's why oftentimes, and I hope I don't offend anybody here, but when we talk about childbirth, we talk about childbirth as being miraculous. But in fact, it, it falls into the category of providence. It's the primary way God works in the world is, is through the, the systems he's put in place. That's what providence is. But listen, even though we think only miracles are supernatural, that's not the case. The providence of God is just as supernatural as miracles are. Because God is at work through the laws he has put into place and through the systems he has established. Listen, for us to not recognize that, for us to not give credit to that, and for us to not praise God for the fact that he works through the systems he has put in place is to do a great disservice to the primary way God works in the world. If you know anything about movies, <clears throat> you know that in a movie, there's a director and there's actors, right? We all know that. The actors are primarily in front of the screen, and the directors, the director is, is behind the scenes, behind the camera. And oftentimes when we're watching a great movie, what we have a tendency to do is just forget about the director, don't we? We're like, wow, these actors are great. Boy, this is a cool movie. We don't even know the director by name, and, and we, we certainly don't know what they look like. But sometimes there's exceptions to that rule, isn't there? There are some actors who, in fact, direct, or directors who, who act in their own movies. Two of these guys we know, Mel Gibson and, and uh, Clint Eastwood do that, don't they? And oftentimes, if you're watching a movie like Braveheart, or you're watching The Unforgiven with Clint Eastwood, you're thinking, man, this is incredible because he's acting and he's also directing. He's doing an incredible job. But here's the reality. Both directors, whether they're behind the screen or in front of the camera, are both equally involved in the movie and equally involved in the direction the movie is taking. You get my point? Whether God is out in front and performing a miracle, or whether he is working through the systems he has put in place and the natural order of things, he is equally involved, equally at work, and equally responsible for the direction in our life and in our world. We need to trust he is in control no matter what. Though he performs miracles and we should want to see them happen, we should pray for them to happen, and they do happen. We need to also understand that he is just as much in control when he doesn't perform miracles. If we can learn to trust in the providence of God, listen, we can learn to be content in this life. So trust that God is in control. Here's the second point. Be content no matter what. Be content no matter what. As I've already shared already, being content, no matter what, is countercultural, isn't it? Especially in the U.S. This is hard for neighboring countries and those in the far parts of the world to understand how in the world we could not be content because we are the wealthiest people in the world. Listen closely when I tell you this. You in this room are some of the most wealthy 
people in all the world. Some of you are thinking, Graham, you're, you're out of your mind. Your research, it's, it's, it's erratic. That can't be true. It's true. Listen, if you have one pair of clothes, if you have a roof over your head in whatever condition it may be, if you have a car in any condition, just one car, you are close to being in the top 15% of the world's wealth. Let's add a few things, because I know we have, a, you know, we wear more than one pair of clothes a day, don't we? Let's say you have two or three pairs of clothes. A roof over your head in any condition. Two cars in any condition. And a little money left over at the end of the month. You're in the top 5%. Close to being in the top 5% of the world's wealth. Some of you are thinking, that can't be true, because I have even more than that. You're climbing. Truth is, there are some in here this morning who are in the top 1% of the world's wealth. And you all know people in this community and outside this community who are in that situation. But even though that's the case, even though God has, has blessed us beyond measure, you know what else is, I believe is true? We are probably in the top 1% of most discontent people in the world. Do you agree? And the reason why is because we don't know how to be content no matter what. We always want more and more and more. We can't get satisfaction though we try and we try and we try and we try. Paul says this, verse 11. You're getting theology from Mick Jagger this morning. How about that? Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What Paul is saying here is to the, uh, the Christians of Philippi is this. Hey, though I'm thankful for your gift, I want you to know this, that the reason why I'm thanking you is not because I couldn't get along without it. Because I could. Paul says here, I in fact have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself, whether I have, am, am living with less than enough or have enough to spare, whether I'm full or hungry, whether you give me the gift or not. And you know what? The Philippians knew that to be true of Paul, didn't they? Because they had seen him be stripped away of the world's wealth. And they had seen him lose all of his earthly privileges because he's in prison right then, writing the letter, and he had been in prison for the cause of Christ. Listen to what Paul says about himself in 2 Corinthians 11. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23. Listen to what Paul says. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. 
on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Why isn't that interesting how Paul ends that? But I worry daily about the rest of the churches, about the rest of believers. That sums Paul's life up, doesn't it? Boy, this really takes the air out of the sail of the health and wealth crowd, doesn't it? It says, if you're, as long as you're faithful, God's going to bless you in the here and now. We can look and see that that's not true through the life of Paul. Though he had gone through the ringer, however, notice that he doesn't lose his joy and contentment. He learns, he has learned to be content in whatever situation he finds himself. That's the key to contentment, is learning to be satisfied with your place in life physically and financially. Now, how could Paul do this? How could Paul get here and be content with the things in his life because they were pretty bad, weren't they? I think we learned that from looking back at Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Remember, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Paul says in Philippians 3, 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Remember the fact we talked a few weeks ago about the fact that Paul valued Christ above all things because he had come to the realization that being made right with him is all that matters for eternity. And the reason why is the scriptures tell us the earth along with its desires are passing away. They're passing away. Which is the reason why Paul could suffer the loss of all things in order that he might gain Christ. Here's my question for you this morning. Are you satisfied with your place in life? Financially and physically, or do you always want more and more? John D. Rockefeller, when he was asked, how much money is enough? He said, just a little bit more. Is that your thinking? Paul rejects this reasoning and calls for us to be content no matter what, to be content in Christ. Third and final point here. Recognize the source of your strength. <clears throat> now I hope we can be friends after this one. Because I'm about to take one of our favorite verses and I'm going to look at how this has been one of the most abused and misused verses in all the Bible. Philippians 4.13, you probably know it, don't you? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, if you're a sports fan like I am, you've seen this verse everywhere, haven't you? Seen Tim Tebow sported underneath the eyes playing football. Seen the wristbands, maybe it on wristbands of basketball and baseball players. You've seen boxers go in the ring about to knock somebody out with Philippians 4.13. Along his robe, I can do it. Knock this guy out for Christ. 
And we've misused this verse in every way imaginable, haven't we? I mean, some might say, you know what? I've always wanted to go skydiving, so I can do it. You know why? Because the Bible says we can, be, we can do all things through him who strengthens me. Maybe parents, you've told your kids, you can be whatever you want to be, because Philippians 4.13 says so. Well, guess what? That gives people a false hope, doesn't it? Because what happens when you don't hit a home run or you don't become president? We have to be careful to read Scripture in context. I think if Paul heard us using this verse today, he'd be like, man, that is not what I meant. I didn't mean Christ gives you the power to go skydiving. So we need to ask, what does Paul mean when he says, all things? That's where the context comes in. In the prior verses, what has Paul been saying? I can live and be content in any and every circumstance. Whether I have a lot of food or whether I don't have any. Whether you send support or not. The all he refers to here is circumstances in life. Whatever they may be. This is what Paul is basically saying here. This is what he's literally saying in this verse. I have strength to face all conditions regardless of what happens by the power that Christ gives me. Let me give you a review. This picture right here, not what he means when he says all things. But this right here is what he does mean. He's not saying I can knock out my opponent I can bench press 400 pounds. I can go do this, be this, do this, or do that. What he's saying is this. I can endure anything this world may throw at me because of Christ. Because I value him above all else. Because he is my Lord and my Savior. Because of that, that is my key to contentment. And that is the source of my strength. Two things we need to learn from this verse. Number one. We can't do anything without Christ. We live in a world that's kind of got this bootstrap mentality on life. It's kind of the idea if life knocks you down, man, you just, you just pull yourself back up and get back on. Even when life gets really hard, this world believes we have all the resources we need to be content and happy in life without Christ. But come on, let's be honest. We know that's not the case, don't we? Many of you have been blessed financially. When difficult times come, which you've already probably been through, you know. Those things do little for us in those circumstances. And if you haven't learned that yet, you will. But even though we, we can't do anything without Christ, the second point of this verse is we can do all things with Him. He's the source of our strength and our comfort and our peace and our contentment most everyone in the room here this morning you're going through something for some of you it may be a little thing for some of you it's weighing down heavy upon your life let this verse be of comfort to you we can make it through anything we can persevere because of the strength that God gives us in Christ think about this the same God 
who is providentially in control of everything and who is bringing everything to its ultimate conclusion, to its ultimate end, is the same God that can miraculously enter in and give us peace and satisfaction and contentment and keep us persevering and keep us going so that we can face all conditions, no matter what they may be, by the strength that Christ gives us. Where are you on the scale of contentment? Scale of 1 to 10, where would you find yourself? Sure, we'd be at different areas on the scale, wouldn't we? Sure, if we're honest, we would all say that none of us are a 10, are we? But one thing that we all have in common is we all want to be a 10, don't we? We all want to get there. And we are trying as hard as we can and, and we are trying, and we're trying, and we're trying, aren't we? Like Mick Jagger says, but we can't get satisfaction. And the reason why is because true satisfaction comes from valuing that which is most valuable. We've talked at great length this morning. He who is most valuable is Christ. And only true and lasting satisfaction is found in Him. Maybe you're here this morning... And you can relate to the song I've been referencing all morning. You have tried and tried and tried to find contentment and satisfaction in this life. And time and time again, you are falling short. God's word is clear. That without Christ, this will be an endless pursuit for you. You're not going to find it. Let me invite you this morning, if you've never done this, if you've never made this decision, let me invite you this morning to get on the path to peace and satisfaction and contentment by trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. Would you pray with me? Father, forgive us for all the times that we've sought peace and satisfaction and contentment apart from you in the things of this world. Father, we pray for help this morning. Help us to trust that you're in control and, and to be content no matter what life throws at us by the power you give us in Christ. For those here this morning who may have come here just worn out from trying to find satisfaction apart from you in this life. Those who don't know you, I, I, I pray that you would do a great work in their heart and life this morning. That you would change their heart and life and show them that their pursuit is going to be without end, without Christ. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> The stands are closed.